Hello and thank you for choosing Starting Somewhere, the podcast where you hear from someone in the early stages of their working life to find out how they got to where they are, what they actually do every day, and just to get an honest look as to what your life might look like if you also start out in that area. I'm your host, Michael Watson, and I could not be more excited about today's episode. Our guest is Carmen Kerrigan. Carmen is a proud graduate of Indiana University, where she earned a degree in law and public policy with certificates in applied research and inquiry and in journalism. For the last two years, she has worked at StaffBase, an internal communications platform used by companies. Since starting, Carmen has climbed the ladder, going from sales development representative to account executive to senior account executive. She has been doing all of this while also pursuing a career in comedy as well. In our conversation, Carmen talks about the perks of working at a small business in startups, the benefits of working for a European company, the usefulness of finding a recruiter, and she also talks about all of the amazing comedy work she's doing. Now, if you're a loyal listener of the show, and this name sounds super familiar to you, it's because you've heard it in most of the episodes in the follow-up. Carmen has also been hosting the podcast Liability on the Mic alongside her friend Liz Evans, and she talks about it in the conversation, and I will absolutely plug it again at the end, but I just want to shout it out right here because it has been one of my absolute favorite things to listen to. So go check out Liability on the Mic podcast after you listen to this episode. It's so fantastic. And one last thing really quick, please stick around after for the follow-up where I will help to unpack some of what we said, explain any technical jargon used, and thank our sponsors. All right, hope you enjoy. Carmen Kerrigan, thank you so much for being here. You know what? Thank you for having me. It is an honor. I feel like a celebrity. I'm happy to be here. It's like I have a celebrity on today. So please, wow. the honor is all mine. Um, wow. Well, hey, I, I need to start with the official first question of the podcast, which is, what did you want to be when you were little? Wow, great question. Um, So... Basically, since I've been a little kid, I always wanted to be a performer of some sort. For a while, I thought I was going to be um, a dancer, not a ballerina, which is, I feel like, a very, uh, like, stereotypical small little girl answer. But, like, I literally wanted to be a hip-hop dancer for a long time. Um, my suburban white Catholic upbringing prohibited that from um, taking flight. However, um, so I wanted to be that. And then... I don't know what you mean by little, but ever since like I was really, really small, I think I wanted to do something in politics. Like I always, I wanted to be president when I was three, like I was that person. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So politics and performing, I haven't strayed much since, but I think I've defined that a little bit more in my old age. Where it was there, like, like, do you know where that comes from or is it just since you've been little you've had an interest in performing and in politics or like was there a state of the union where you saw George W. Bush and you said yep there it is that's what I want to do like what was there like an actual inspiration for either of those for performing 
I honestly, like as corny as it sounds, I kind of feel like I was born with it. Like my parents tell stories of like me being like as soon as I could walk being like mom and dad come here. Like I've prepared something like after dinner and just like doing a variety show for them for 45 minutes as a toddler and them being like, all right, let's wrap it up. Um, I think I've always liked to make people laugh and I like being the center of attention. Um, So I think that was born in me. Politically, um, I always watched the news with my dad when I was little. Like, he worked really late. Um, When I was growing up, he had, like, a pretty high, like, a serious sales career. So he was, like, either out really late at the office or traveling. Um, And whenever he'd come home, like, I would get to stay up past my bedtime. And he, like, wanted to watch, like, local or international news. And I think, like, it was just tied to me bonding with my dad, really. And then, like obviously it just became more and more interesting as I in high in junior high um grade school for all the Catholics that are listening um like found opportunities where you could be like a homeroom rep or something and obviously took advantage of that so um yeah half born and then half like based on quality time with my parents I think that's so cool so then just kind of looking at what you ended up uh, going into and majoring in in college, I think that all of that kind of makes sense and adds up. So um, before we get into specifically what you studied, you went to Indiana University. Um, I did. Go Hoosiers. Go Hoosiers. What what was that decision like choosing IU? Did you when, when did you know that that's where you wanted to go? Yeah, great question. So I applied to a ton of schools. I had a general idea of what I wanted to study, but like it's it it wasn't like I was like, you know, a chemical engineer and so I knew like the top 10 programs to go to. I kind of knew I wanted a bigger school cuz I had a feeling I would end up switching my major like two or three times, which is absolutely what happened. Um <laughs> But my first visit at IU, I didn't love it. Um, I fell in love with a few other Big Tens. And then I also applied to a decent amount of like smaller liberal arts and private schools um, and kind of was leaning that way. But I mean, to be quite frank, um, I got a full ride to Indiana. And um, through that interview process, I really, really, really liked the staff and felt like they cared about what I wanted to do and were like going to support like what I wanted to research. I wanted to study abroad, um, all the things and just felt like, I don't know when I went back for my final interview for that scholarship, uh, it was just like a feeling. And I think like everybody has a few moments in their life when that happens and you just shouldn't ignore it. And, I got the scholarship. It, it was pretty prestigious. So it was definitely something I took seriously. And um, yeah, I think it was literally like a week or two after I was like, I don't want to apply to any more schools because applying to schools is obnoxiously terrible. Yeah. Um, and this is a really good deal. So went with IU. Um, I have zero regrets. It's one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Um, the opportunities I had, I think at a big school, um, the professors I got to work with and like my best friends in the world are from there. Uh, and I would have never met them had I gone in state or elsewhere. So love IU. If anybody listening has little siblings who are considering it would be more than happy to sell them on the best big 10, in my opinion, even though Ohio state rocks anyway. Yeah. I was going to say, I wasn't going to let you just, get away with just a blanket IU is the best Big Ten comment I mean that's, that's my insane. little brother is going to Ohio State and it kind of broke my heart but I'm also very excited for him so go Bucks baby 
Yeah. Um, okay, so you mentioned that you figured you were going to end up switching your major multiple times. You said that yep. happened. So when you came in, what was your major? And then talk us through a little bit what the process was like switching and then kind of eventually settling in on what you did. Yeah, so I came into IU uh, as a like an undeclared business major. So I was in the Kelly School of Business, um, which is like a pretty prestigious business school. Part of me did that because I didn't know what I wanted to do and thought it'd be easier to transfer out of like that selective specific college than like transfer in later um, and quickly realized um, I had a decent amount of like APs. So I started to be able to take like some business courses and try and figure out what my major was and very quickly realized I hated accounting. I hated spreadsheets. I hated financial modeling. Uh, I hated Excel and I loved everything about my other classes, which were um, like the class that changed my life freshman year. Like the classic story is I took a class about like media's effect on society and the professor was fantastic um, and basically decided through that uh, that I wanted to at least tack on something in the media school in terms of changing my actual major, I was trying to finagle my way into the business economics and public policy major in the business school, which is like the least businessy major you can do. Um, but essentially, it's just like financial modeling to basically help. Uh, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but to like basically help private lobbyists figure out ways to influence public policy absolutely against <laughs> my ethos. And so I great work the, for great people. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the world needs more. Um, <laughs> the world needs more. So, um, and no hate if you do that, but also, um, anyway. So, I, at the end of my freshman year, um, just knew in my heart I was super bored by business courses and made the change. Um, and I, I do realize, like, the privilege that um, for some college goers, like they don't have the ability to just like willy nilly major in something. They're looking forward to something that's immediately going to help them or their family or their college loans see financial return. Um, so I do recognize like my luck and my ability to uh, change my major, but I changed it into the School of Public Affairs um, and or Public and Environmental Affairs. So it's called SPIA. Um, best, again, academic decision I probably could have made. Uh, so the major that I graduated with in that, which I switched into automatically, um, was, it's called Law and Public Policy. And so my final, like, Star Wars screen of credits um, that like everybody graduates like a billion little things is graduated with a major in law and public policy so a BSPA with a certificate in applied research and inquiry as well as a certificate in journalism and not every school is a certificate but it's like a few more courses than a major and you have to do like a cumulative project so yeah uh, public affairs and media was where I ended up and uh I couldn't have been happier and like I wrote my senior thesis um, as like kind of a combination of all of that. That's so that's so interesting. So when when in college did you formally make that transition? Like to public affairs? Yeah, to public affairs. At what point in So I declared the change at the very end of freshman year. Um, so I like started public affairs courses in fall of sophomore year. I knew I wanted to change probably after first semester, probably after the first few months, to be honest. But 
Um, I figured like, yeah, accounting courses probably just are miserable. Um, I should stick it out for another semester and see if like I had business presentations, computer and business and like something else, um, like calculus or something terrible. Um, and I was like, well, let me see. Um, I famously hate numbers, so I don't know why I thought that was going to go well. Um, but I stuck it out and then quickly changed. Yeah. So while all of this is going on, you were also super involved and uh, doing a lot of different things within uh, the IU community as well. You were in a sorority, you worked uh, with the university, you were involved in res life. Um, where did that where did that drive come from or where did that motivation come from to be super involved at school as well, kind of outside of the classroom? Mm, well, I think it's like the classic thing you hear at orientation for Big Ten, which I'm sure you heard as well. And like I know you, Michael, did is like you can always make a big school smaller. You can't make a small school too much bigger. Um, and for mm -hmm. me, I went to a pretty small private all-girls high school um in, in Cincinnati I graduated with like 190 girls which isn't tiny but definitely not big so I while I was very excited to like jump into like the big pond of a big 10 I definitely wanted to like find community and I especially um being in the business school where I was like I don't care about these classes at all I wanted to spend time on things I care about which is again like um I was very involved in student government in high school so I knew I wanted to do something with that right off the bat um and then uh, I was involved in the comedy scene. Uh, I was in a sketch comedy group, which took up like a lot of my time. And then, um, yeah, just picked up a few. I sampled a few things. So it's not like I did everything for four years, but I was like on the student newspaper for a minute. Um, I worked on a few like um, student government campaigns. Um, yeah, I don't know. I did a few different things. But kind of the good thing about a Big Ten, I would say, is that like you get to test out you kind of get to like test out a few activities. It's definitely like a time commitment, but then you find your pocket of like what you really like to do. So yeah, that was it for me. And then the sorority thing is like, again, I went to an all girls high school and I'm a social person. So I thought that would be a cool way to meet girls um, that were like similar to me from different places around the country. Um, and yeah, I was happy I went with Greek life, but my experience at IU is definitely not, dictated by that and that's why I think other clubs are super important so that your whole social life isn't just Greek or just school or just one extracurricular it's like a healthy mix of everything of all of those things that you did and you know sampled like you said what would you say and this could be one thing it could be a couple of things but what do you think was the most uh influential for you like what had the biggest impact on you that you were doing my sketch comedy group, um, and it sounds silly um, to those who aren't, I guess, like in the comedy world, but uh, that was like a very intense like curriculum like we were meeting at least twice a week for two hours you were expected to come with written material we put on a show every month and would have audiences that reached up to like 350 400 people um, we had to market the events wow. again we produced wrote produced directed marketed and put on like an hour-long show once a month that like drew pretty big crowds um we were considered at the time like one of the most serious or like kind of like 
has their shit together the most groups on campus and like um yeah it wasn't a joke so I just grew a lot in my comedy and my passion for writing exploded because the upperclassmen I got to learn from are like incredible like some of them are working in Hollywood live in New York now um but also like it was just a very beautiful process to also see like my friends who would have never attended like a performing arts thing on campus, like try it out and then start to dip their toes into like improv groups or come to the campus comedy festival. So um, my senior year in, oh, it's called University Twits. My senior year in Twits was like really, really amazing because my friends were super supportive. I felt like what we were able to do as a group got really experimental. We trusted each other. So I can't, I can't say enough about it. It was like the best thing I did in college, 100%. What was it specifically that drew you to sketch? Because you mentioned some other things, but you could have been in an improv group. You could have just done stand-up. Was there something specifically about sketch comedy that uh, you're really attracted to, and that's why you pursued that specifically? Sure. Um, so for those who don't know, um, which a lot of people don't, which is no biggie, like the difference between sketch and improv is improv or well and stand up stand up is like think of like jerry seinfeld like somebody talking at a microphone it's their own set they're making like joke punchline joke or telling a story think dave Chappelle, um amy schumer like that kind of vibe uh improv is when like they're taking audience suggestions or playing games and it's improvised in the moment. So nothing is written down. Um, they're like acting on their own two feet and creating scenes um, that they've done for the first time in front of you. And then sketch um, think like Saturday night live. So like written characters um, that are performed and they're short, like five to six minute um, like vignettes almost. So I did sketch, which was the last one I was drawn to it again. Like I mentioned, um, I, obviously like the dream of any comedian pre like the or like the last two or three years is to be on Saturday Night Live and so mm -hmm. I wanted to do that I also liked the idea of writing a lot but also like I had planned to audition for a few groups and I think with anything performance-based be it music um be it like poetry be it comedy like you really have to jive with your scene partners. Um, and it's like an indescribable energy. And when I went through the audition process with them, again, I had intended to audition for a few groups. I like, I just felt the vibe and like, I felt like I could write for these people. These people could write for me. And that's where, in my opinion, like the best years of SNL, like everybody has their favorite Saturday night live sketch. Like that's what it is, is like the actors know each other so well that they're able to take risks together. They're having fun on stage. The audience wants to watch them together. So like I, I saw potential to do that and like I really jived with them and yeah, I got lucky because that's that's what it turned into, like where audience members would like want to see me and like my friend Zade in a sketch together because they knew we had like good on stage chemistry, like we'd be funny together. And so I think um, in performance, like not everybody can just perform with everybody. You have to find people who like we not that we all had the same sense of humor because we really didn't, but like people who who are going to be down to work as hard as you. Like I wanted something serious and you just think you're going to jive with. And like, I just got the vibe and yeah, I, d I definitely didn't make a mistake. Like that was totally the right group for me. 
That's awesome. Because um, especially with something like performing comedy, I mean, it can be um, extremely vulnerable and super scary. So, you know, if you can have that comfort, then it kind of frees you up to hopefully be funny, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think like um, with Sketch, like half the game is like remembering your lines. Like it's mm-hmm. an hour long show. And by the time you're a junior and a senior, you're in like over half the sketches at least. So, um being able to like be good at memorizing and then get to the point where you're just having fun with like your teammates like that is that's when it's the best like that's when it's it's like I don't do it to like obviously everybody who does comedy like wants to get a laugh from the crowd but like those are the best moments or like what you remember when you graduate is like remember when we did that and like we were just having so much fun and like the audience knows that like that's why everybody on like again SNL loves when Mm -hmm. Jimmy Fallon breaks like because he and Horatio are just you can tell having the best time on stage together Mm -hmm. so yeah that's so cool so I want to talk I want to continue to talk to you about comedy um, but I want to transition away just for a second to talk about please um, internships that you did in college. So I know that you did uh, a few throughout your time, uh, one in your hometown of Cincinnati, um, and then another in Washington, D.C. Um, of those, kind of, what was, the, what was the work that you were doing? And then did that have any profound impact on figuring out what you wanted to do after college? Yeah, great question. Um, and I think, like, if you all are thinking about college internships and again, you're in like an economic position in which you can do them because again, my DC internship was like expensive. Um, and I got paid next to nothing. That's how that stuff goes. Like, I think it's really good if you think you might be interested in something to just go ahead and do it because you will find out what you like and what you don't like. And it's the age old adage of like, you find out what you want to do by finding out what you don't want to do first. Um, And so my sophomore year internship, freshman year, I interned on um, a senator's campaign that I don't really want to talk too much about. Um, Sophomore year, uh, between sophomore year and junior year, so that's summer, I interned at the Regional Economic Development Initiative. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so it was in Cincinnati. And effectively what that firm does is it's like works on both the public and private end. So they, um, on one side of the thing, are like working with local real estate to look at plots of land that are available um, and finding out where new business could be brought to Cincinnati. But the interesting part about it is that like they bid or help facilitate new companies planting in Cincinnati. So for example, when I was there, um, which was really cool to watch, Amazon was thinking about opening a new plant in the Midwest, like a huge manufacturing facility. And so like Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Louisville, Lexington, Indianapolis, um, and maybe if I didn't say St. Louis, I think they were in the cut. We're all bidding. Um, We're all bidding for a new business to come to Cincinnati. So they have to put together like a PR campaign for the city. They have to run an economic study of like, here's what the cost of living would be for your employees. Here's what would be so great about it for them. Um, You know, in this city, we have top public schools. Um, 
but it's also like working working with the government um to decide like strategically where it would make the most sense to bring that employee base so my like the ceo of my company who it's a small office so i worked with her pretty closely um like regularly was on the phone with like john Kasich at the time who was the governor so um it was it's it was very cool because I got to see a mix of public and private and I got to dip my hand into like PR. Um, I was kind of like a jack of all trades intern. Like I worked for the front desk, but then I do like special events. I like liaise with like different people. Like very frequently I was like calling the mayor's office, which is absolutely inappropriate. Cause I was like <laughs> 19 at the time. Um, like whatever. Um, but yeah, learned from that that I liked the idea of a small office because you just get to add more to your resume. Like, if you're a go-getter, like, if you want to learn, like, they're more than happy to, like, sit down and tell you all about their job and have you help. So loved that. Loved that I got to learn a little bit more about, like, city and state government, but also, like, what are companies looking for when they plan to put a plant somewhere? I think it's super interesting. Um, yeah, so that was that one. It was great, and I also loved that our CEO was a female. She was a badass, um, and yeah, she's she pops off. Anyway, um, the next really summer quick. I did what? Yeah, just really quick on that one. How did you find that internship? This was so it was like I got it through a connection of a connection. So my dad, I believe had connected me with his friend who worked somewhere else. And I did like an informational interview with her kind of like, I'm interested in local government, but I don't know if I want to do like an unpaid thing. Like I'd like to make a little money this summer, um, mm -hmm. trying to think like what I could do. And then I believe that woman, um, who worked in local government, like I think she worked at the city council office, turned me on to, this and then i just i think i reached out directly um and emailed and was like can i have an interview um oh cool yeah awesome sorry no i you're going into the next and i was just curious how how that because i think that's also part of it too is that like uh one thing is once you get the internship and what does that mean and like what work are you actually going to be doing but then the the other part of the it huge is like, thing is how do you get the internship? How do you just get there? Yeah, how do you just how do you just get in the door? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, yeah, this was definitely home court advantage. Like, my dad hooked it up halfway, but I won't say my dad got me the job. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, the next internship I had, which I guess I'll talk a little bit less about, um, was National Conference on Citizenship. Um, it is like a government chartered organization um, that is in D.C. Um, I actually got this internship through my thesis advisor, who um, I was looking for D.C. internships, applying everywhere, couldn't find something that I liked or the things that I did want I wasn't getting interviews at. Um, and he was like, you should talk with my friend and see if you're interested um and yeah he hooked it up so i got that one through my thesis advisor i believe their fellow harvard alumni um which is the most privileged thing i could say about those <laughs> two but it's just the fact of the matter um so that was a good old-fashioned academic slide on in the door um yep. yeah so that one um essentially 
it's interesting because the charter for it, which I think it was like Lyndon B. Johnson or like somebody back in the day um, was like, we need somebody who's looking to improve citizenship in the United States. Obviously, like civic, like civic engagement. Obviously, that is the broadest like mission statement of all time. So that was also a jack of all trades internship where I was helping organize their annual conference um, where I'm like helping pick award recipients, um, AKA Justice Sotomayor was like in the cut again. And then it's like me after a night out in Foggy Bottom, like vetting these people. Um, I also was somewhat of a research intern. So I read like 40 books that summer and then like synthesized all of the information. Um, I was really interested at the time in money and politics. So like, if you haven't read Dark Money, you don't know what country we're living in anyway. Um, so did that and then revamped their social media. Um, that was like kind of all over the place. What I did not like about that internship, it was it, it was a very play as you go. Like they totally were like, do whatever you want. We're just kind of happy to have you here. Like there was an absolute lack of structure. I need a little bit of accountability and I like... I want people to set the bar like almost impossibly high and have me reach for it. I don't like them being like, we trust you um, and we think you can like create your own experience because then I'm obviously going to be lazy or like go down some rabbit hole that's just me like satisfying my own knowledge and not whatever. But um, it was very cool to work in DC for a summer. Um, again, very small office, but this was like four people, which was too small. Um and I was like the youngest person there by a mile. So um, I liked it. It was definitely a more brainiac internship. Um, but yeah, again, learned definitely what I like and what I don't like. And what I don't like is DC rent. Um, but yeah, that's that's just facts anyway. So through all of these different experiences, different types of internships in various fields, um, you know, doing a sketch group. Um, you also did a study abroad uh, during your junior year, correct? Yes. So, you know, with after all those experiences, when you were about to leave college, did you know what you wanted to do? Like, did you have a good idea career-wise of what you wanted to do? I would assume that you definitely still had an interest in comedy, given, you know, the impact that that group had on you. So you, I would guess that you still wanted to do that in some capacity. But, like, you know... What, did you have like a job necessarily in mind of what you wanted to do coming out? So I did not graduate with a job. Um, so let me just say that to everybody. Okay. And it's totally okay if you don't. And in fact, I'm really Neither glad did I. I didn't. What I'm really glad Neither that did I didn't I. Yeah. because I think you'd be stressed out for the last four months of senior. Move home to your parents, get your finances in order, take all your time interviewing, then move out. Anyway, um, Aaron and Grace Kerrigan could take notes on this. Anyway, um, so to be super vulnerable, um, I had been, again, I was in this, like the, my certificate in applied research and inquiry, it was like a very hoity toity academic. You had to be invited. There's like 15 per grade program to write this like honors thesis. And I was very close with my director. He was one of the people who helped me transition to the school of public affairs. He was very invested in my academic life. Um, like literally to the point where he would be like, helping me get the good professor for certain courses. Um, he was like very in the cut and he requested my presence in like 
March or April at the end of senior year um, and was basically like, Carmen, like, what are you doing? Um, Like, basically, what are you doing? Because, like, my classmates were, like, getting Fulbright and Marshall scholarships, getting accepted to Harvard and Yale Law. Like, these people were doing going to Morocco on some some thing to study, like, suicide female bombers. Like, these people were doing, like, legitimate things. And I was very not... Uh, forthcoming with what I was doing and clearly making no moves. And I had this moment in like, uh, like Professor Karaj's office where I just like literally broke down in tears um, and was like, can I be super honest with you? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I don't want to go right into politics or policy or law school. I want to move to New York and do comedy and like it was the first time I'd ever said it out loud and was impossible to come out. It was nearly impossible to say because my entire life had been about like being a really serious student, being super involved, like um, all the good things to trying to get like a really good grad school. I wanted to be creme de la creme. And I, it was a really vulnerable spot to be in just because it weirdly felt like I was finishing last in my program because again, all of my colleagues were getting this, like, like these really prestigious like scholarships and fellowships and grad school offers and jobs. And like, I wasn't, I was, I was standing there. And, um, I think if you are someone who has like dual professional and artistic or like the quote unquote, as society deems them like crazy dreams. I'm not saying that you have to act on them right away, but I do think before you exit college and like life becomes really real and your parents start asking you to like, where's the money and like student loans kick in or whatever it is, like your friends move away, like spend some time alone just being honest with yourself about like if you have something that you want to do that is maybe in no way where you're going to end up job wise because I think like you have to say it even if it's just yourself because it will get lost in like finding an apartment and getting promotions at your job that you kind of actually don't care about and trips with your friends and family like it life just starts happening really 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 real after graduation I'm sure you can agree with that Michael and like you just have to like you just have to say it and even if you're not going to go that way and you know it like just be honest that it's like something that you care about and could see yourself doing because um I almost didn't and like I guess as a flash forward of where I am now, like I'm in New York and I'll talk about my job, but like I'm here to do comedy and like that was not an easy decision for me and here's where I am. So anyway, that was deeper than you wanted it to be, but um, I did know what I wanted to do when I was graduating college. I just didn't have the courage to uh, uh, make the pivot. Wow. Well, thank you for yeah saying that and explaining all of that because i think that i don't i i also agree and at that time right before you leave college if specifically i think that last semester if you don't 
necessarily have like a set plan or have like a set job coming out and a lot of people do or at least it feels and seems like a lot of people do it gets super overwhelming for like a billion reasons all at the same time for every reason yeah for all of them um so i yeah no i relate super hard to that of just having no idea what you want to do or at least maybe having because because you knew what you wanted to do you just didn't have any type of like i guess formal job or like career or anything like because there's not a job for that right exactly um yeah and it is super overwhelming especially when like you see people who you know are like super unoriginal or you know you're smarter than or you know that you were more involved or would be more like talented getting these jobs it is the one of the worst feelings on the planet and michael and i were actually talking last night about like that phrase comparison is the thief of joy like that totally comes in end of college um Mm -hmm. because you see all these like bozos that you went to school (laughs) and were out at the bars with like getting real jobs and you're like actually how like actually how (laughs) (laughs) that's that's 100 it yeah um okay so then so then let's talk you graduate you move back home i did the exact same thing then what was the process like in finding in finding that first job and and being able to move to new york city yeah so um went back to the parents crib in cincinnati ohio for like three four months um after graduation i took like a like a month off of applying like i started to apply a little bit at the end of senior year but like not really um took like a month off like took some trips to visit my friends um I was obviously like devastated that college was over so I kind of needed to like mourn that loss um because in my opinion when you graduate college nobody knows what they're doing for like a year like I think everybody's just like walking around like wait what um like this is the the rest of life okay um but so I started applying like a mad woman and like I'm a pretty I'm like, I'm a pretty good like workhorse when I like set a schedule. So I was like, I'm going to apply to five jobs a day or at least make five serious networking moves a day. Um, so I was applying to like a mix of like serious, like had to write writing sample applications to applying to like random stuff on LinkedIn. Like I was just hitting everything, um, and getting rejection after rejection after nothing, after nothing. I really wanted to work in political communications, um, or like political consulting. Um, and like started getting some leads that were either like, you're going to be making 12 bucks an hour in New York city, which like newsflash doesn't work. Um, or like just flat out, like you don't have experience cause you didn't have three political consulting internships because you did not go to Brown. Um, And so um, I started being like, damn, like I, I got to start looking outside of political consulting. So I started like looking at a few different roles. And then my friend Jeremy, who lived up in New York at the time was like, Hey, this recruiter hit me up on LinkedIn. And obviously I don't need a job because he already had one at the time. Um, but do you want me to set up a meeting with her? And I was like, yeah, like, I don't like, duh, like just, you got to say yes to like, whatever, especially when you're getting like 12 no's a day. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. 
I was like, yeah, I'll take this meeting. I knew it was in the tech space, um, like what she recruited for based on her LinkedIn. And I was like, eh, that's absolutely not what I want to do. So um, I took it anyway. And uh, she was just like, yeah, I took a look at your resume based on what Jeremy sent me. Um, I think you would be a really good fit in like a starting sales role at a tech startup. I was like, that sounds terrible. Um, and she was like, well, hold on. Um, I have a few companies I want you to interview at, but there's this one in particular um, called Staff Base. And why I think you'll like them, the, she's like, the product is really cool. Like they're actually a solid company, but they were, they're a European company. They're German founded. So you'll get to go to Europe like two or three times a year for free. And I like, before she even finished the sentence, I was like, I will definitely interview there. Cause like, <laughs> duh. Um, I studied, what, yeah, I studied abroad in Europe and like, I'm, I am the girl who like studied abroad for five months and will like never forget it. Um, so, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like that sounds like a good deal. And very similar to the twits. Um, experience I like set up a few interviews in New York through this recruiter and kind of like knocked them all out uh in like two or three days and went up and like stayed with my friends and just like while they were at work would go to interviews and then we'd like meet up and go out um so went to a few they were fine went to staff base and it was just the vibe like everybody I already that was the one that I wanted to work at and I just needed a job to like get me up to New York so that I could make money, so I could do comedy. So that's what I went in with. But I walked out, like, really having, like, the people who interviewed me. They, like, seemed pretty cerebral. Um, They also seemed, like, chillers, like, quite frankly. Like, I, like, like to work hard, but I'm, like, definitely not, like, a narc. Um, So finding that balance, like, it was just the right amount of tech bro, but not too tech bro. Um, And then, yeah, obviously they vibed right on back. And um, they, like, it was, like, that night, like, I got an offer. And then I, like, weirdly tried to negotiate moving expenses. And they were, like you're a starting level employee like we're not doing that and then um accepted it like five days later and then literally moved up to new york like 10 days later it was wild um so it happened like like that but um yeah i found it through a recruiter and that's a pro tip i would say for those of you who don't know what you want to do but are like know you want to move to Austin, Texas or San Francisco or wherever, like wherever you want to move, like look for recruiters um, in whatever space that you're generally interested in, even if there's not some, because they, it's free. Like you don't have to pay them and they hook you up with interviews. Like I would have never found my company had this interview or had this recruiter not been like, you should check out staff base would have never found it. So if you know where you want to move, just literally Google like Atlanta, Georgia recruiters and like hit those people up. That's a great tip. And then we're going to give a quick shout out to uh, Sean Manon, who is our favorite recruiter personally sure. on the podcast. Sure. <laughs> um, the best recruiter we know. The best recruiter we both know. So you started out as staff base as a sales development representative. What was that day to day like? Like what, what are you actually doing in that job? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, my role was sales development representative. We call it SDR. A lot of companies call it BDR or business development representative, but um, you are initiating the sales process, which means that you are booking your account executive a demo. So your job is to qualify potential customers or we call them prospects that come in and like come to our website or like reach out and are like hey we're interested in staff base um like part half of your job is to be like okay are you like basically worth our time to look at but the other huge half of the job which i would say is like where i spent most of my time is uh, so that's inbound. The other half is outbound, which means you are reaching out to different companies or organizations and seeing if they'd be interested in staff base. So um, when I was there, it's a lot of emailing. It's a lot of cold calls. Um, and I was super serious about it. I think it's a huge part of why I got promoted pretty quickly. Um, but there's a lot of people in the tech space where their first job is like, SDR, BDR. Um, and I think at a startup or a tech company in general, there are so many ways you can like, like pots you can put your hands into. If you want to be part of a marketing campaign, you can, um, if you want to like learn more about later on in the sales process, if you want to learn to code, if you want to learn more of the technical, like you can do a ton during the day in tech, specifically in sales. I think you have to remember like as like my old SVP used to say, like the nut of the job, like why did they hire you? And for me as an SDR, it's like to book as many meetings as I can, like qualified demos for account executives. Um, so I, my like metric was I wanted to make a hundred calls a day. If I didn't make a hundred calls a day, I was either having five seriously quality conversations with like follow-ups or I had booked a meeting. So if I hadn't done any of those three things, my day was not over. Um, and that's like what I, yeah, set for myself. So lots of calls, lots of emails. Um, and being an SDR is fun because you're with like sitting next to all the fellow SDRs and everybody's joking around and like, being clown so it was a very fun time but the job is just super like workhorse like putting the work did you was it so like as someone who has also had to do a lot of cold calling for work um did you actually find that your uh background in comedy helped for dealing with rejection and just dealing with walking up to people trying to strike up some type of conversation and then going from there and just seeing what happened with it yeah so it's actually interesting because like it, it totally I think depends on who you're cold calling to so like I yeah. am selling yeah. like we sell our product to either people who are in communications departments or HR that's typically middle-aged white women from the midwest not my key demographic in which i do well with so i actually really? was way more comfortable like calling a c-suite like southern old guy um and sure. i'd like prop my feet up <laughs> on the desk um then these like ladies who just like my charm doesn't work on them as much um and i think like a big part of rejection is yes comedy at first but i also like cared like it sting it stings like cold calling and getting hung up on yeah. or like having someone be like stop calling me or like i don't know what you're saying or literally anything um it's listen yeah. cameron <laughs> my name's well. carmen 
right? It's it it hurts. But I think that's why putting in the reps is important because I'm sure you identify with this in the cold call. Like the first few days you do it, you're like, damn, this is really set like depressing and then you just kind of get numb to the point where it's actually laughable like and that's why I think doing a cold calling job with like developing a rapport with kind of the bullpen or like the people you like is so important because like we'd all call next to each other and like if someone has just absolutely like told you to go like f yourself like like Mm -hmm. looking at your coworker just being like oh my god like listen to this recording is like half the fun of the job so I think you just get numb honestly like I think you just stop caring that they're hurting your feelings yeah no I'd 100% agree with that it's you I mean someone can tell you to yeah someone can only tell you to fuck off so many times before you really just start to be like you know what fine that's have a great no and you know what you're right I apologize (laughs) for ruining your day because had I been on the opposite end I would have probably said the same thing like you have to take the ego out of it oh yeah you're not taking my random cold call to my landline number in the middle of the day like what are we talking about like i would i would just decline that not even pick it up like no way oh that's that's my favorite well and then because then you get into the people that will pick up and then we'll be really, really angry at you. And it's like, Pissed you know, if you really you are in the them. middle of heart surgery right now, right. why'd you pick up the phone? <laughs> Literally, my favorite is like picks up the phone. They're like, I'm walking into a meeting. I'm like, yep. well, when you <laughs> get time. out of that, give me a call back. <laughs> God. Yeah, I've heard everything in the book. Um, my coworker famously got one where the woman was like well i'm giving birth tomorrow so and he's like his line back which is all time insane he was like well what are you doing today (laughs) like like all time d-bag comment that's perfect (laughs) yeah um i uh yeah there was one time i was knocking on someone's door and she took like five minutes to come to the door, but I could hear someone in the house, which is why I didn't leave. And uh, I waited. She opens the door. It's just like this middle-aged woman, like in a towel, like no, in a robe. She's just wearing a robe, and she's like, you know, hurt, like rushed, like trying to put it on. And I, in my first thought, is like, why, why are you opening the door right now? Like, this yeah, just, like, it, like, it, this it I'm important. not that important. I'll so be the then, first. So to then say she it. looks at me, realizes I'm, you know, from a campaign. Then instantly gets pissed off and looks at me and goes, "I'm walking into the shower. Like, what can I help you with?" And it's like. You didn't have you know to cut like yeah. <laughs> you could have just. Done I don't want to be talking to you either because this is a walking <laughs> lawsuit right now. <laughs> we both know I'm not supposed to be here right now. Yeah, I'm gonna turn so... around and we're we're gonna act like this never happened. Yeah, and w- as a tip to you, disable your security cameras. <sighs> People are insane. I'm telling you. Middle-aged women, and it's crazy because I'm going to be one of them soon, but, like, they come up with every excuse in the book, and I'm I'll just be honest, sitting I'm there a like, surprised. Look, what? 
I'm a little surprised that that's not your ideal demographic. Like I'm not, it's not lost on me why you would be more successful with Southern C-suite executives, but I just like <laughs> middle-aged because middle-aged women. I mean, that's my sweet spot. That's my. I'm sure it is, and it makes complete sense. Calling. I think you and I are total yin yang effect, which is why we will have like a communications consulting firm in 30 years. Like it will happen, but we're totally yin yang. Like women my age, um, like obviously, I think I do well with the women my age demographic. Like again, I went to an all girls school. I can speak the language. If you, I'm trying, like, I have like my more work voice on. Like if you, if none of you have ever spoken to me offline, I feel like. I speak in half non-English. Like I've got a lot of insane Carmen jargon. I use a lot of abbreviations. Like, so women my age, like are like, yes, slay middle-aged women. Um, don't have time for my bullshit because then I weirdly get like very nervous. Um, and I'm like, hi, Miranda. Um, you're doing well. Okay. I just don't know what they like. If I'm being honest, like Mm. I don't understand, what a 40 year old woman does on the weekend now an older woman like a 60 65 i can get down with like i can get down with like a linda like for sure um sure but it's that middle range that stresses me out um because yeah and then men i just feel like i do pretty well with i don't know why um i just feel more comfortable calling them um, I feel more comfortable. I do think, like, in sales, um, sometimes traditional gender roles, like, rear their ugly heads. And yep. um, I think I have a better time, like, peering through men's BS on the phone than women's. And I also think it's nice that they, sometimes, like, those older men take me seriously. Because, like, I definitely don't have, like, a high bs voice like my voice is pretty low and like i don't know i'd like to think like i sound like i mean business on the phone um so i don't know call dynamics are crazy it's a crazy Mm -hmm. i'm glad i learned that life skill i genuinely am um nobody experiences rejection like people who are out here knocking on doors and cold calling it's wild yeah i would say that i would say to anyone just i think Maybe one of the best places to start just in anything, and it doesn't have to be, you know, area specific. It can be anything, sales, campaign, I mean, whatever it is. But just the more that you're forced to talk to people and build a relationship with someone in like 20 seconds, if you're it able to be like so okay key. at that, yeah, I mean, that's huge. It's, it is so key of like, I think everybody should have to do like in some capacity because like the 22nd thing is so key, like being sure of yourself, not making it about you and like, who am I and what am I here for? Like getting to the point, cutting out like BS filler words, like, which I just used like eight of them. Um, but like having the courage to know what you're talking about and pitching it and then being like, what do you think? Like that Mm -hmm. is, I think something I'll use in every job. Like I know it has helped me tremendously in my current role, um, which I think if I'd come from an outside position into where I'm at now, um, I wouldn't be as successful. Like I genuinely believe that just like making the ask, like, will you sign this? Are you voting for my candidate? Will you agree to a meeting? Like going for the ask is half the game. 
So let's talk a little bit more about your current job. So you went from sales development representative, SDR, and then you became uh, an account executive. And then earlier this year, a couple months ago, you were promoted to senior account executive. So yeah. number one, congratulations on the recent promotion. <laughs> oh um, <my> God, thanks. <laughs> but number two... Uh, what, what has that transition been like? What is the job now? Um, and are you finding it that it's, that you're enjoying the work more or just that it's, you know, different than what you were doing before? Yeah. So an account executive, again, uh, every tech company has them. Um, that is the, the name is exactly what it is. Your job is to execute on accounts, which means that again, an SDR or BDR's job is to, get like the first meeting like for tech it's technically it's typically a demo where a prospect can see the platform the account executive's job is to take run that first meeting and then close the business so it is again a jack of all trades job you are again i sell a software product so i am i've done everything from pitch to like the CEO of a 10,000 person company with 20 other people in the room and like all of my VPs on a call to I've sat on calls with IT teams and like walked them through the tech specs of our penetration testing, whatever the hell that means. Um, <laughs> I've put together case studies in collateral. I've recorded myself. I build apps like I brand apps for prospects to to walk over I've gotten into fights with lawyers on the phone to the point where I've like in on the last day of a quarter I like convinced counterparty legal to walk back their own red lines like it is it is not for the week of heart it's a hard job um, because you are running every single step of the process and for a technical solution it's not like buying a bunch of hats or shoes like you have to educate while you're getting them to buy and in my case you have to bring in multiple stakeholders to get the job done for a software like mine um it's i mean it's tens of thousands up to like multi hundreds of thousands of dollars a year so typically it can't be purchased without HR, IT, and communication sign off. And then the signatory is typically someone in the C-suite. So like very frequently, mm -hmm. I am speaking with a CHRO, a chief information officer, chief marketing officer, very frequently a chief executive officer. Um, so it's a, bit, it's a big job. And like I'm admittedly um, like pretty young for my role. Um, but what I like about it is that like, again, it's kind of that like, the job is almost impossible, but it's not. Um, and so you have to manage your pipeline of opportunities, get things to close. But um, it's very, very hard. But the pay is definitely awesome. And um, I like the rush. Like I like the last day of the quarter when our lawyer in Amsterdam is on the phone with me and my boss and it's all up to me to like close an opportunity so the team can have its best quarter ever and I get a big payday and like it's it's an adrenaline sport for sure and as much as it's individual I really like my coworkers, and a lot of them were SDRs with me who also got promoted so um like I love working with those people but um yeah account executive is like what don't you do um and senior AE which I just got promoted to is like I guess I proved that I could like close business at the up to like the 3,500 employee company count level. So now I can sell to companies of like up to 40,000 um, employees. Wow. That's so that's a lot. Um, that's a lot. 
that's so much and like you said <laughs> you're young things. for the position are there like are there a lot of people around your age working at the company or that you're working with like a lot or are you kind of the anomaly of the group so um i'm the youngest person in my office um and like there are some SDRs who are like 25 26 for those of you wondering i'm 23 um my 24th birthday is coming up uh next saturday if anybody wants to wish me an hbd but um i <laughs> yeah i i'm the youngest there are some people in positions like um who are SDRs who are like 25 26 um but on the account executive team um yeah i'm the youngest by a decent amount but my company is generally what? like everybody's in late twenties, early thirties. Is it is it different at all? Is it tougher for you at all? Like, is it something that you're constantly aware of? Um, like, is it? I I don't know. Like, because I have also been the youngest person on a team before. So, like, is it something that you're kind of constantly aware of other people are bringing up, or is it just like that's kind of how it shook out? But everyone still works together the same. So, I think starting out younger um and again in the tech bro space um again i sell like a pretty i've used this adjective before but like cerebral product like there are no dummies on my team everybody's pretty legit like people are out here having gone to like columbia like they're like they're like legitimate people so um proving myself was no joke and like that's part of what i like about it is like they always keep me on my toes um People have asked me before if, like, being a woman in the tech space has any emphasis on, like, the jobs I do. I've been disrespected, like, a few times on deals. But, again, it's, like, old manufacturing guys from, like, the middle of the country who um, just, like, think I'm a joke. Which is fine. And I'm more than happy to bring my 31-year-old Australian manager on um, to, like, resolve the issue, um, to say the least. But, like, age-wise... I'm constantly aware of it um, in terms of I think if they want to retain me, I've already proved that I can sell to an extent. I think I'm obviously new to this role, so I have to prove I can sell a larger bandwidth. But it's like, are you all looking at me for a leadership opportunity? And are you guys not having those conversations because I'm 23 and not 26? Like, that's mm. something I constantly think about. Um, and I think... I don't know. I think it's something everybody has to be aware of if you're like advancing quickly. Like don't just advance in the track, but like how are you going to retain me long term? Because if I've proven that like I'm the fastest promotion of the blah 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 or the youngest promotion of the blah like, okay, do you want to keep me around for a long time? I don't want to sell for years. Like, how are right. you going to keep it interesting? Where do you want me to grow? Um, so I'm in the place now where as much as it is like I have to prove myself in this new bucket. I'm like, y'all need to start asking me about like my my long term objectives here um, or what I want to do. So, um, yeah. And again, I think my age is a factor in that, but we'll see how it shakes out. Can you uh, quickly walk us through what is the standard like weekday look like for you? Like what's a standard work day? Sure. Um, so uh, I'm definitely not an early riser. My work day is like nine to five thirty ish, give or take. Um, I 
so it starts at nine. I roll out of bed at around nine oh seven. Um, and work from home life. When I was in the office, I was there at eight fifty nine. Um, so roll out about at nine oh seven. Make a cup of coffee. Um, I was telling you this last night, Michael, but I'm like most productive from the hours of like. 9 30 to 1 30 like I just grind like I'll prep for all of my meetings get through all of my paperwork I'm slacking my manager I'm prepping for all the presentations I have which is like I'll build an app I'm building a slide deck if I have to write a script I'll do that um then I have a decent amount of meetings so I'll like mentor SDRs um I meet with my manager like basically almost once a day in some capacity even if it's like 10 minutes we talk all the time he's very hands-on he's awesome um then I'm like talking to prospects so I'm on like two or three external facing calls a day where I'm presenting to people and again that could be a first call all the way to like technical late stage legal stakeholder presentation um and then I have to present my pipeline internally um so I just did that today at 4 p.m so I have to like literally our vice president of like North America will be like Carmen what are you closing this quarter and I'm going to ask you about every single opportunity and where it's at and what boxes you've checked and what's the likelihood that it closes and for what dollar amount and it better be accurate and it better close by the state like serious like you're contributing money to the business and you need to be accurate reporting um and then yeah that's that's basically it and I just talk to my coworkers all day in my job um I work with like pre-sales aka the SDRs marketing customer success so I like work with multiple departments every day yeah wow that's so cool that's such a full day I mean like that's like that's a whole that's a whole work day it's a lot yeah um yeah. there's definitely like and it depends on how fast my deals are moving, right? So, like, it's our end of the quarter right now. Our quarter ends June 30th. So, um, I'm super busy. But at the beginning of every quarter, like, there are some days where I, like, have almost nothing to do. Which is, like, what I really like about the schedule is, as an SDR, you can always be making more calls or sending more emails. Whereas an AE, sometimes you just get to kind of, like, take a breather. And then there are some days where you're working super, super late at night. Um, so, it just kind of depends. Um. Is it difficult for you to manage your work-life balance, like your work life and your personal life balance? Is it is that tough for you to, because you have so much going on in your job? Um. So, this is another pro tip, I guess I would say. I really like working for a European company because they really value work-life balance. Like our CEO takes like multiple weeks off a year. Um, my manager again is Australian and like uses every single one of his vacation days. Um, and what's great about being at this level is like they trust me. So it's like if I'm like I'm going to be out of commission for two hours this afternoon and I'll be back online and get my stuff done later. Like it's not like they're making me clock in clock out at all. It's like they trust you and it's like merit system of like, get your shit done. And if you do, I don't really care what you're doing, which I love. Like, it's not like I have to have the green dot on my Slack all day. Like my manager doesn't care. Um, and the company is really like, they give us like a, a growth budget to like go explore something else we want to do in our lives yearly. Um, so 
European companies are typically like more vacation days, a bit more flexible on working hours, more respectful to like, I think new parents in my, in my experience, um, just like more willing to be flexible. So I've really enjoyed that. And, um, there's definitely some interesting idiosyncrasies that come with like working with colleagues who are across the pond in terms of like the time difference, um, just like the language and the business practice. But in terms of my ability to like, like for example, literally today I had to take like a 45 minute call about, I'm getting new headshots taken. Um, so I had to do like a consultation for that. Um, and it's like, I don't even need to tell my boss. So, um, Mm -hmm. I love that, but I think in sales, like, you have to just press the off button sometimes. And like when you're an SDR trying to get promoted, sometimes you just have to like close your computer. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just so important, especially when you have a job that's kind of like a 24 seven job or you could be doing something at all times job. Like you really do need to set those boundaries for yourself. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. Okay. So let's transition back into comedy um are, i would assume you are but can you tell us are you still you know pursuing performing comedy and then if so what are the things you're working on right now i am um obviously as you all know uh 2020 happened so um i was in new york for like six seven no it was like yeah seven eight good months um before covid hit like a motherfucking freight train and um so obviously wasn't able to get on stage i had taken classes at upright citizens brigade or ucb which is like amy poehler and matt besser's theater that fully closed in covid um so last year was really tough um so what i did was spend some time writing and then conceptualizing my current podcast so i guess i'll plug my pod which is liability on the mic um liability on the mic um i guess we're an official partner i believe as michael has said of starting somewhere but um it's me and my friend sorry my friend liz and i i promise i went to school um my friend liz and i um who she's a south side of chicago irish catholic who says all the things um and she and i literally just talk for an hour so if you guys need some funny white noise that's what that is but yeah so i have liability on the mic and then um i'm currently like i've written five sketches that are getting um filmed for my website so i'm planning to have my website up as soon as i get these headshots taken um and then yeah i wrote a pilot in covid so currently conceptualizing like a series um with two high school friends that's not as real but it's also very real because i i i'm i'm like pretty proud of it and i think it could be something but it's baby 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 stages so nothing to announce there um but yeah have started dipping my toe back in the water with open mics um and after my birthday i think i'll get a little bit more serious about that but yeah just starting to get back to life as normal new york was kind of the last of the states to like open restrictions of like people can sit in a room inside and hear performers so um yeah have been trying to take advantage of like life starting back up again but yeah that's that's where i'm at it's definitely like a huge part of my life and i'm working on it like more than a few work nights out of the week so um my schedule right now is pretty exhausting but i like wouldn't want it any other way i feel like i'd feel very unfulfilled if it wasn't for Anyone who might be like thinking or, you know, they could be in school, they could be working a full time job 
and they've always been interested in comedy, but kind of aren't sure maybe what specific avenue they want to go down or they're just not really sure how to get started. What would you say to that person? Like either someone who has no clue if they want to do, you know, stand up, improv, sketch, uh, write a show, shorts, anything like that. Um, like how would you suggest that someone starts to, you know, get into that? Yeah. So you just listed a big list of things you can do. And I think a huge step is like realizing you can't do everything because there are not enough hours in the day to like baby explore every facet of performing arts. I think you really have to find what you like. And a great way to do that, in my opinion, if it's improv or sketch, is take a class. Um, it's a way that you're held accountable by an instructor. You can meet friends that like maybe would want to film or write with you in the future. Um, you can just learn whether or not, quite frankly, that you like the bones of it. If it's stand-up, that's the the same advice as cold calling. You gotta get on the mic. Um, like you, you just have to do it. Everybody who does open mics is not Dave Chappelle. So don't worry about being the funniest person in the room. The biggest step is just get up on the mic for the first time and it's not going to go super well. You're not going to understand your own timing. Um, you're not going to feel confident. This is the first time you've ever done these bits. So they're not going to be solidified. Just do it. For five minutes, bring a friend, have a few drinks after, erase from your memory if you want to. But if there's a glimmer of something that the audience did snicker at or you liked the feeling, keep going. Um, and I think like it, it ties back to the, the title of this podcast. Like Start somewhere. If it's writing, writing's the hardest thing in the world for me to do because I love to perform. And I love writing, but writing's not as fun for me. Um, it's something that I, I feel like I have to do or is performing something that I would do every second if I could. Um, with writing, start with one day a week. For me, it's Sunday. Two hours. Throw your phone in a lake under your bed. <laughs> I don't care where it is. Give it to your bodega guy. I don't care what you do. Throw your phone away. Put your computer on air airplane mode. Write without stopping for 30 minutes. Try that. Even if it's, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. What am I eating for dinner? What am I eating for dinner? Okay, a funny sketch idea could be write straight for 30 minutes. And then if you want to explore any of those ideas, I think outlining is super key. So if it's a sketch, if it's something longer outline don't commit yourself to i'm gonna write an episode of tv today like that is super unattainable like that just that's just so large that like you'll never even put pen to paper like figuratively so for writing it's put every goddamn sorry every distraction you could possibly have away because two seconds into typing you will want to grab your phone and just stop and just write even if it's terrible. Just write, just write, just write, just write, just write. And it's going to be garbage and it's going to be garbage. And then there's going to be one sentence you like. And then we move forward. But in terms of starting somewhere, writing is super hard for me. The game of psyching myself up to even write a sketch, which is like six pages, is insanity. I will wait eight hours on a Sunday and do insane things for example make a tower of q-tips that's like an egyptian pyramid in my bathroom before i can write a sketch so put pen to paper 30 minutes i would say 
specifically when it comes to getting on stage, is that something that at this point you feel really comfortable with or do you get like if do you get really nervous before you go on either if it's for like a sketch show or like you're doing an open mic like do you get really nervous before you go on stage I think nervous is an interesting word for sketch I get adrenaline which is actually like what I wrote my common app college essay about like I'm an adrenaline junkie like I'm addicted to the feeling like my body shakes when I get like a lot of adrenaline like that some call it nerves Um, for me for sketch it's excitement because I feel very comfortable in my ability to play a character or just have my lines memorized like I I I feel like I know that I can make the audience laugh for stand-up I get ridiculously nervous because a lot of these bits are the first time I'm doing them and I have no idea if people will like listening to me um which I think is that half the that I think that's why I like sketch is like I can write a character that would be funny. I don't know if people think that I, Carmen Kerrigan, am funny. So that's mm. more nervous. For sketch, I just get excited. How do you get over that for stand-up? Because I've tried stand-up once, and like my feet started sweating. Like That's how nervous I got. It was the most insane thing I've ever experienced. So how do you get over that? Well, this is a crazy full-circle combo. Look at the, this. Like same same info as cold calling you get on stage so and it was the same with sketch because i was nervous when i first started doing sketch i was terrified um you get on stage enough to quite frankly not care like anymore if they don't like you you start doing it for you and i think when you start to fall in love with getting better it stops becoming about the audience and people liking you and more about I love doing this and I want this bit to work and it didn't work last week. So I changed the punchline or I changed this and like, I want to test it out. So I think you have to fall in love with like the experimentation of it. Um, And I know for sketch, like I still have a lot of work to go. I'm by no means a professional, but I, I learned for like three years, like what works and what doesn't when I do it on stage. Um, and now I just don't care because I know like I'll get the audience there in some way, shape or form, but I got to test a few things out and that's okay. So it's, it, you got to put in the reps, like just like cold call, you got to get kind of numb to the feeling of standing on stage in silence and then just fall in love with getting better. That's awesome. That's, I think that's great advice. Um, all right. So before I get into the final five questions, because yes, I've please. taken up so much of your time, um, is there anything that you would like to say that you have not gotten a chance to talk about yet? Mm. I would just say to anybody listening to this that's in their young 20s, and again, Michael and I literally had like a version of this conversation just talking on the phone last night. Like, I think young 20s are hard, and everybody who you went to school with and went to high school with looks like they're doing better than you and worse than you. And don't spend time on that. Do not spend time on that because nothing about what they're doing and like the loser husband they're going to marry and like the whatever life they're (laughs) going to have has anything to do with Carmen Kerrigan or Michael Watson or insert name here. Like I would just like, and, and this is me like, I need to practice what I preach, but it's like an ethos that like in COVID I've really tried to stay with. It's just like, what makes you happy? Like, go do it. Like, go do the things. Like, stop worrying about 
whatever the hell else people are doing and what everybody wants to do because like it doesn't matter like it does not matter what everybody else is doing have fun go out for drinks with your friends dance all night on the weekends because we're in our young 20s and we're not 35 even though COVID made everybody like still be a young person but like you like listening to podcasts? Okay, listen to fucking six a day. Who cares? We don't have kids and we don't have spouses right now. Like, do what you love. It doesn't matter. I think, like, we all think that we're older than we are because we have, like, all of the access to information that social media gives us. So we have, like, all these images of where we could or should be. Like, we are 24. Like, that is young AF. Like, be young AF and not know what you're doing. And that's okay. Just have fun and do what you like to do. And that's it. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that so much. All right. Final five questions. Yes. Okay. What is the best job you've ever had? Should I give a professional answer? Give any answer you want. It can also be multiple jobs if you want to separate them out. I really liked babysitting. I actually did it for multiple summers. Loved babysitting. That's not very interesting. Um, The best job I've had... I really liked my ready internship like the first one I talked about. I think it was Mm -hmm. like just one of the coolest, most interesting things to even work for and around. That's awesome. Uh, Especially given that it was an internship. So that's so cool. Uh, What is your dream job? Write, star and directed my own show or run communications for a political candidate i love that i feel like both could honestly happen yeah well we'll see (laughs) (laughs) that's like 18 year old carmen like when you met me like i'm gonna be president by the time i'm 35 um yeah (laughs) (laughs) who are the people that you admire most hmm my friend Jake Hoff, who currently works directly under David Axelrod um, at the University of Chicago um, in their Office of like Student Life and Communications and was just on a Zoom with um, AOC and um, like the premier of Canada. Um, so F him. Um, <laughs> but also how to show at the IO Theater and makes being exceptional in public affairs and communications seem insanely easy um so jake huff i look up to a ton um i really do look up to which as corny as it is like abby and alana um who like obviously wrote and starred in broad city um Mm -hmm. and the reason why i do is and i'll throw melissa mccarthy in that category i think being a woman in comedy um particularly in the like 2010s when I started to like really turn my ears onto it it was like a very specific type of female comic be it like Amy Schumer Nikki Glaser like the list goes on and I didn't see a lot of myself in those people and I think Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids was like the first time I ever was like I could do that like I think I could be like something like that um like that's really fucking funny to me like that she does that and she's really good and she steals the show And I think Abby and Alana gave me the permission to write sketch in a way that 
is about girls my age, like living life and going through it and it not being about sex. Like quite frankly, being about like all the weird shit that happens to me on a daily basis and like just being free in what you want to write and what scenarios you want to create for yourself. So I look up to them comedically a ton. I'll throw in Dave Chappelle because it's just fucking honor code. He's the goat. Um, Yeah, that's who I look up to right now, but it really changes based on what I'm interested in during the month. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that's a great list, though. Um, Okay, last question. What has been giving you the most joy lately? Um, if you all don't follow follow Meg Stalter on Twitter um, and Instagram, she got me through COVID, like Twitter alt-comedian. She's on the HBO show Hacks. Some of her characters are just insane. So that, entertainment-wise, I'm also like weirdly obsessed with the show blackish right now on abc which is super random but dre johnson is giving me a lot of joy and my newfound love for white wine because i'm famously a girl who loves her spanish reds and this summer (laughs) (laughs) this summer i've been i've been taking like a detour into pinot grigio town and i'm not even mad about it like i used to be embarrassed i was like this is like soft but I, I I am kind of a self-declared wine snob, and I've like kind of enjoyed white wine recently. Um, and Rihanna's last album, um, like has just really reawoken me. Um, and so I'll I'll say like that's the list this week. Um, I've obviously been spending a lot of time by myself. So I love that. Um, Thank you so much for coming on here and talking. I thought it was fantastic, and I really loved everything you had to say. So thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. I had a good time. Um, yeah, obviously, you, you can plug all my socials, but yeah. I'll, I'll plug everything in the follow-up. Thank you so much for doing this. Love it. Thank you, Michael. Welcome to the follow-up. I really hope that you all enjoyed that as much as I did. It was just so much fun getting to talk to Carmen. Um, We actually met at a Marriott hotel at a high school debate conference. Shout out Junior State of America. In Cincinnati, Ohio, almost seven years ago. And since then, it has just been so cool to see all of the amazing things Carmen has done and will inevitably go on to do. One big thing I want to highlight um, from what she talked a little bit about was the importance of repetition. So this came up when she was talking about doing calls as an SDR, also about when she was talking about comedy and where you build that you know, confidence to get up and perform. And I just think it's reassuring for people to know that 
when you try something new or when you start something, it's almost a guarantee that you're not going to be great at it, right? I think it is a guarantee that you're not going to be great at it. People are good at stuff when they start. But to be like, you know, you're not a Hall of Famer the day you start, right? Um, However, the great thing is that if you just keep doing it, you will get better and you will start to build a lot of confidence just as a result of that, just as a result of the repetition of doing it over and over again. And this applies to literally everything, literally anything that you can think of. This podcast, for example. Admittedly, I did not know a lot about the production of podcasts and what all went into this when I started. And when I was doing my first you know, a few interviews, um, I really was in my head about it. And I was super anxious and was just not happy with the way that certain things were turning out. However, you keep doing it and you keep working at it and you keep learning. And honestly, I'd say that I feel better about it today than I did when I start. And I'm sure that, you know, I will feel much better about it a year from now than I did today. It's just one of those things where you're not going to be perfect from the start, but you have to start in order to someday get perfect, right? So, you know, I, I just think it's it's so I think it's so critical to all of the work that she has done. It has been so important to the work I have done. Um, and I just think that that is such a good thing to, to focus on from this episode. So before I thank sponsors, I just want to plug some things that Carmen had mentioned at the end there. Um, she brought up Rihanna's last album. Obviously amazing. Um, if you have not heard it, I don't know how, but the album is called Anti. Uh, made in 2016. We're still waiting on more Rihanna music, but she's a billionaire now, so you know can't blame her. Um, but if you have not listened to that album, that's insane, and absolutely go change that right now. Also, Meg Stalter, the comedian Meg Stalter. Um, I agree. She is absolutely hilarious. Um, and you can check her out at her Twitter, at Meg Stalter, M-E-G-S-T-A-L-T-E-R. And it's the same handle on Instagram as well. She's super, super funny. Um, absolutely go check her out. She's also doing shows on tour now. So if you're in one of those cities, highly suggest go seeing her. Um now I would love to thank our sponsors. Thank you to the Crystal Casino Band for letting us use their song Luck as music for the podcast. The Crystal Casino Band actually just dropped their brand new album, Not About You, everywhere that music can be found. 100% it is their best album yet. I cannot recommend it enough. Absolutely, everyone go check out Not About You by the Crystal Casino Band. Finally, thank you to Liability on the Mic. One last time here, uh, plugging Carmen's podcast. I I know that I plug it all the time, but sincerely, I think that it is absolutely hilarious. I had an honest to God, hand to God spit take while listening to it a couple weeks ago. Basically, it's just two college friends shooting the shit for an hour, um, and I cannot get enough of it. So please go check them out. You can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, it's Liability on the Mic. You can also find them on Instagram. It's just Liability on the Mic, all one word. And then while you're on Instagram, also feel free to give Carmen a follow. Um, it's at Carmesan Chicken. So that is C A R M E S A N Chicken. Um, and that's the same handle for Carmen on Twitter. Thank you very much, Chicky Chicky Carm Carm. One final thing before we wrap up here. I have a favor to ask. 
If you thought of anyone while listening to this episode because they are in school to do this or you just think that they would find it interesting, please send it to them. The goal here is to help as many different people as possible, learn as many different careers and paths as possible. So if you would like to help that mission, I would greatly appreciate it. Please also feel free to reach out at Starting Somewhere Pod on Instagram and at Starting Pod on Twitter. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.